I love the way the hymns summarize the the depths of scripture and doctrine. Some of their simple phrases like trust and obey. You think of the deep theology behind that statement. Um, it's amazing. Well, as you're turning back to Matthew chapter 7, I have a question for you. And the question is, are you an intolerant Christian? Now think about that. Are you an intolerant Christian? Well, you should be. You should be an intolerant Christian. And unfortunately, we have developed an unhealthy tolerance of sin. I'm not talking about being gracious and merciful. I'm not talking about being gentle. I'm talking about the, the tolerating of sin, the, the excuse-making for sin that has just become prevalent uh, not only in our society, but worse yet, in the church. Uh, the church is the body of Christ by definition. The church is the house of believers by definition. Non-believers are more than welcome to come and listen, hear, and see the truth of God's Word. God glorified and proclaimed through, through music. But, but this is the house of believers. And so it's essential that we, we understand that. And again, in, in love and in kindness, we want unbelievers to come and visit. But, but we don't cater to non-believers. And I hope we don't tolerate sin we tolerate the sin from non-believers and all of a sudden the believers start tolerating sin amongst the brethren. I mean, right now, if you listen, if you're really listening to the, the primary message in America, it's the highest virtue is tolerance. To tolerate, to, you know, you, you, you should have tolerance for every kind of vice, every kind of of you know, weird concept or idea. Uh, people are storming the streets and looting and burning and whatever else they want. Why? Be because it's tolerated, right? We, we, we let it go. Tolerance is the, the opposite and then it becomes a counterfeit. What, what's a counterfeit? A counterfeit's fake. Right? A, a, a counterfeit is, is something posing itself to be something. So tolerance poses itself to be kind and loving. Kind and loving isn't letting your five-year-old play in the Cedar River. Right? We guard. We protect. We shield. We counsel. Um, we rebuke. We punish. We discipline. Th these are all marks of, of genuine love not tolerance. If you allow evil, evil will never stop. It's like a flood that just gains more and more momentum, more and more power, more. Just think of this for a second. Think of the idea of, of you know, of a skirt, right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm old now. I, there was a time where I was young and 
I, I'm old. I, it's official. I have grandbabies. You know, I'm over 50. So I'm old. I don't feel old, but I'm old. I can't hide it. <laughs> but I remember, you know, back, way back when in high school, when, you know, oh, the skirts are getting too short. How short can they go? Uh, let me tell you, they got shorter. And then I remember the 50s, you know, and the, the cheerleaders had these skirts that went all the way down to their ankles. You know, if you want a good visual of that, watch the movie Hoosiers. And, and you'll get a picture of like the cheerleaders and the skirts went to the ankles. And, you know, and they just kept going up and up and up. And you're like, well, well, how far can they go? Well, watch a, you know, Super Bowl halftime show. And you'll see that they don't even wear skirts anymore. And all the way to essentially nothing. So how far will evil go if you allow it? It'll go all the way. It'll go all the way. I think about all the time from, especially from an education system where it's like, you know, if you were freed from the, 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 you know, the house of Egypt and you left Egypt, would you get on a bus and put your kids on a bus to go back to the public school system of the Egyptians. No, the Israelites would never do that. And so God gets us out of Egypt only so that we reach back and bring Egypt with us. No, when he saves us from our transgressions, when he saves us from the past, he makes us new. He makes us new creatures in Christ. That's why we say we're born again. We're, we're, we're brand new. We don't go backwards. And so you see Jesus plus compromise is commingling. I mean, I'm sure you've seen them. We've talked about it. The, you know, the sticker that's on the back of cars coexist. And within the sticker is, you know, basically all kinds of different religions. It's like, can't we, can't we all just, you know, get along and be on the same page? No, no, we can't tolerate that because two opposing views can't both be right. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. All other ways are counterfeit. The Bible explicitly talks about this over and over and over again, that, that we can't be unequally yoked with idols, with foreign gods, with foreign entities that in essence just equate to what we were talking about two weeks ago, serving a different master. There's only one master. You cannot serve two masters. There's either the Lord, our God, the master of the universe, or it's a satanic master. And so as we kind of wrap up Jesus's sermon on the Mount, this is like the, the, the ending of his, his great teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. We see this in Matthew 7, 28. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as scribes. And so I come to you today, not, not as just a, a, a pastor, not as just a teacher, not as, as, as Pastor Tony, but, but this is the word of God. This is Jesus giving us the, the blueprint and, and the playbook of how to live the Christian life. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, his warning, my warning as a shepherd, comes in four ways today. Four ways to warn you. One, 
Beware of Satan. Beware of Satan. Sounds sounds simple, but most churches don't even preach that anymore. Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teaching. The third warning is beware of yourself. Beware of yourself. And then finally, the fourth warning is to beware of the, wor- of the world. So four warnings from a shepherd. Beware of Satan. Beware of false prophets. Beware of yourself. And then beware of the world. As usual, today as I was preparing and just verse after verse after verse and cross-reference after cross-reference, I was thinking, you know, we can trim this down to a two-hour, three-hour message. Um, and I'm tempted. Trust me, I have a lot to say. Um, so, but I'll, I'll do my best. But remember, we're, we're quoting scripture we're quoting god's word and one of the things that i i i don't want to uh, you to misunderstand as we quote so many passages and verses the idea would be look write down that passage and then go back and read it the the depth of the wisdom of understanding is the totality of scripture not just a dry buyer of one or two verses We're, we're quoting them but really they're just teasers This is a teaser. The main event is you going home and studying God's word diligently day and night. His perfect, immovable word. God's word does not change. It doesn't change. And so Matthew 7 verse 13 starts with, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. Before we get into the first warning, which is directly beware of Satan. I want us to understand this idea of of the narrow gate, the narrow gate. Really, this narrow gate is this is where the the warning from the shepherd starts. Be careful. Beware. Um, there, there's a, a wide gate. There's, there, there's a pathway of least resistance that everybody wants to go. And so the idea here is to literally scare hell out of you, right? That's not meant to be a, a euphemism. That's a literal thing that the Bible, that God is trying to do more than winning you by the carrot, winning you by the treasure by eternal heaven. God warns us about the fiery pit of hell more often than anything as compared to heaven and hell. And and here it is right here. Look, be careful. Narrow, narrow is the gate that leads to life. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction. So what's the takeaway? We, We don't follow the crowd. Yeah, but everybody else is doing it. This is the way everybody else thinks. No, we don't follow the crowd just because everybody else is doing it. We've been saying this to children for years. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. And then what do we do when we grow up as adults? What do we do as as churches, small churches, being absorbed by the world around us? Why? I guess we should follow the crowd. No, that's the narrow. I'm sorry. That's the that's the wide gate. 
that's the that's the gate for for those who are are, are leading to destruction. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Jesus doesn't pull punches. The way that leads to destruction. It's very clear. So our first warning then is, look, the way of of destruction, the road to destruction is paved by Satan himself. So beware of Satan. Beware of Satan. His pathway is the domain of darkness. It's the domain of darkness. Um, you know, it's the hard is is always special in everything. The the longer it takes to prepare a meal, the better it is. The longer it takes to put together a quilt, the better it is. The longer it takes to build something, the better it is. The harder you have to work and practice to get good at something, the better it is. It's never easy. It's the hard that makes it great. It's the difficult that makes it so special. And we have to get our minds wrapped around that, that that Satan comes to us and he always wants you to take the easy path, the path of least resistance. Going back to Genesis 3, you know, Satan's tactics haven't changed. The outline's the same. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts in the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, well, from the tree of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God just doesn't want you on an equal playing field with him. You know what? You can be just like God. Do what you want. Be autonomous. And so Satan crafts this creating of the doubt. He distorts the truth. He denies God's word. That that creates a, a, a pattern of distrust that ultimately will result in denial. It's the same pattern that we see over and over again. <coughs> but see, the narrow path follows God's law. The narrow path obeys God's word, even though when you don't understand, I don't understand why I can't eat that fruit. I, I don't get it. So I'm going to eat it. I'm going to do what I want. No. Trust and obey, just like what we just sang. We, we saw Job. We saw in the, in the example of Job, in Job 1, that, that Job is a good and righteous man. And Satan attacks, ideally, the, 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 the best man on planet Earth he goes after. So when we say beware of Satan, beware of his attacks, look, he will attack not just the best man, that he can find, but who else did he attack? Who do we just study a couple weeks ago? He went after Jesus Christ himself in the desert. He, he is, is a tenacious foe. He is aggressive. He never, ever stops. He never stops. He goes after Job. He goes after David. He goes after Jesus. I, I guess we're just the lucky ones. 
Well, and if it isn't him directly, then we see later on, we'll see that it's, it's the ways of the world that he attacks through. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 gives us really the, the clearest picture of, well, what exactly is kind of happening? Well, what's happening when we walk outside the doors? What's happening in the middle of the week when we're, you know, trying to live our life, trying to trust and obey, trying to follow God's word? This is what's going on. Uh, it's it's kind of like that, that spider wick movie, right? Where the kids can see what's going on and nobody else can. It's like, well, this is what's happening. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is what you need to do to be on guard for Satan. Put on the full armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Do you want to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? Then put on your armor. Why do you need your armor? Because they're schemes of the devil. Right? Well, how so? For our struggle is not against just, I added that, flesh and blood. It's not just the physical, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this dark, of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So put your armor on, gear up. Verse 13, that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. You can stand firm. You can resist. You must. You're commanded to. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And so our struggle, our struggle is not just physical. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a battle. There's a, a, a demonic reality. We, we've been watching the Iron Dome in Israel, right? Why does Israel have an Iron Dome? Because missiles are coming in at all hours of the day, from all angles, every day, all the time. So you know what Israel does? One of my dad's favorite sayings, do something. You can, you, so, so they build a dome. They build a dome to protect themselves from the missiles. God's word is our dome. Why? Because verse 16, flaming missiles from the evil one are coming. We're, we're under attack. We're under assault as God's people. That, that's why we can't tolerate sin. Because sin is the enemy. It's, it's, it's not a friendly foe. It's not a comrade. Beware of Satan. But understand this also. Understand this. Greater is he who is in us. Satan is a defeated foe. Make no mistake. He's a defeated foe. He was defeated on the cross. We see that in John 12, 31. We, we, we know that he's defeated and greater is, is, is our God. But, but, but 
He will take down as many as he possibly can to the very last minute. I, I liken it to somebody who's, who's shot on the battlefield and they know they've got their last breath, but with that last breath, they're going to get one more shot off, right? No repentance, no remorse, just more attack to the bitter end. That's who we're fighting against. So be on alert, be, stand firm, and again, resist the devil. He will flee. James 4, 7. Well, the second warning, the second warning we see is beware of false prophets. Not only do we have Satan directly, but we have false prophets. Uh, turn back with me to, to Matthew seven fifteen. <clears throat> Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? And so here's a direct warning. Beware of false prophets. Who are these false prophets? Who are these false teachers? Who are they? Well, first of all, they're, they don't come to you as the devil. They don't come to you as a, a fiery dragon. They come to you as wolves, but they're in sheep's clothing. We all remember, well, some of us, the old Looney Tunes, right? Where the shepherd dog shows up and Wiley Coyote, you know, they show up to, to work. It's kind of funny. You know, they show up at their little lunchbox every day. They punch in. And they bought, and they cut. Okay, now, now Wiley Coyote tries to steal the sheep from the sheepdog. And so what does he do? Well, you know, a lot. his favorite, right, is to put on the, the outfit that makes him look like a very skinny sheep. Satan does a better job of camouflage than that. He does an amazing job of camouflaging and that's what's being said here look false teachers are coming to you outwardly they look amazing pastors and sneakers right very nice suits very handsome unlike me nice hair right just just they're very polished great speakers great communicators make no mistake they can speak they can communicate they've got good tongues but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And look, the picture here is, and, and they're, they're ravenous wolves. They're ravenous wolves. No, no, they're just a little, they're just a little misguided. It's just a, it's, we can tolerate a little bad theology. We can tolerate their, their different doctrines. Can we? They're ravenous. They're, they're, what is ravenous? They're, they're, they're wolves that are so hungry, so hungry, so tenacious that they go into the camp, past the fire, through the men to get to the sheep. Because you know what? They're going to die anyway, so they might as well attack. That's the picture. They are going to get after the sheep. That's us. We're the sheep. We're the sheep. They're coming after us, but they're not coming after us again saying, we're the false teachers. You guys ever see that sign? Hey, come, come to visit our church. We're having a conference of false teachers this weekend. 
Hey, I've got a new podcast for you. It's called False Teaching. No, that's not how they come to us. They're, as Jeremiah 14, 14 says, they're, they're teachers who are deluded in their own minds. Matthew 23, we talk about this. They're, they're blind guides. They're supposed to be the guides bringing the light of God's word. Instead, they're, they're vipers. They're snakes. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4. This is how we know whether they're true teachers or false teachers. It's real simple. Line it up with scripture. Are they preaching a different gospel? We, we, we've got these characters running around. They're boasting their, their churches and through through video and satellite, they're able to have multiple, you know, like franchise locations and they have 70,000 people under their membership. And yeah, you know what? Money's coming in and they're, they're flowing and, and men like Andy Stanley are wolves in sheep's clothing. And you know, I don't say names out loud very often, but there are way too many churches that are literally following his sermons to a T in this neighborhood here. Here's a guideline. If it's a different doctrine, don't follow it. If it's new, it's probably not true. When you hear a phrase from a teacher, oh, I have something brand new that you've never heard before. Uh, that's, not, that's not a good thing. That's a dangerous thing. Th this book has been around. The last page of this book was written 2,000 years ago. It holds up. It doesn't need your new wisdom from 2024 and all of your new tolerance. Well, where are these false teachers? Where do you think they are? They're in the church. They're in the church. That's why you have to have to watch out for what's being taught. We see this in Revelation Chapter two, chapter three, right? Revelation two and three goes after churches. These are the kinds of things that are happening in churches per Revelation two, chapter two and chapter three. Things like following false teachers who teach about idols, who are spiritually dead, who are have no passion, who are lukewarm that the Lord spews out. That's the church. That's the church. We have to be careful. We have to be like Acts 17, 11's, like the Bereans to study, to see if it's so. Are false teachers around? Read your scriptures. Does the, does the Bible warn us about false teachers from the beginning to the end? Okay. How do we know what a false teacher is? Compare it to scripture. Okay. These aren't my words. This is what God says to us, warning us over and over and over again. Almost every uh, letter written by Paul, the letters written by Paul are warnings to the church, inside of the church, of the teaching within the church. Do you guys get that? Obviously, the world is teaching a different gospel. We have to be on guard for the gospel that's within <clears throat> yes, we have, we have so many people who, who, who were well-intentioned, people who would go out and start ministries like the Young Men's 
Christian Association, right? YMCA. We've seen things like the Salvation Army, right? Another nonprofit group. Rescue missions. They used to be called, you know, you know, you know, gospel rescue missions. Now they drop the gospel. Why? Um, not all of them, but many of them. Our Ivy League schools in America were all founded on the principle of creating seminaries to produce preachers. That's changed. Again, we have to be on guard. We have to be careful because it's the false prophets don't just come now from false teachers that come from the pulpit. Now they come through the back door. We've talked about this. Christian movies, Christian books, YouTube, podcast. It's a flood of false information. And God's word is, is very clear. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved. You've got to be in God's word. You've got to be in God's word. Psalm 1. Meditating on it day and night. Day and night. We have to be like pieces of meat that just are saturated in a marinade of God's word day and night. So that when we, when we step out, it's just soaked into us. We're teriyaki chicken now, right? We're teriyaki Christians. It's just, it, it's so part of us. It's, it's seeped into us. But no, we're followers of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We quote scripture. We don't worry about quoting men. Well, the third warning that we see here is a warning of beware of yourself. Beware of yourself. Well, how so? Verse 17. Even so, good, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can bad trees produce good fruit. Remember, we're not talking about fruit here, right? We're talking about people, okay? Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Again, in love, in kindness, Jesus is intolerant of sin. Why? Because sin leads to a path that gets thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. We'll know each other. We'll know people by our fruit. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Again, that's on the, on the, on the speakers. That's on the preachers, right? That's on the clergy. Didn't I prophesy in your name? perform miracles verse 23 and then Jesus says I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness being an athlete or former athlete I should say practice is a precious word to me practice is is is, is sacred in in my mind as an athlete and not just doing it, but the love of doing it, the passion to do it. I was listening to a, a podcast of one of the greatest athletes ever, Wayne Gretzky. His nickname, The Great One. How about that for a nickname? And his passion and his love from childhood to practice. 
from childhood and when asked by parents, what does my son need to do? How many hours a week does he need to practice? What does he need? Is it you, you don't teach it. They want to do it. We need to want to practice righteousness, not lawlessness. We're, we're, we're playing with lawlessness all the time. Like it's a joke. We're, we're making bad relationships, bad friendships. We're putting ourselves in bad places. We're listening to bad things. We're watching bad things. We're, we're, we're so close to lawlessness. And then we say, but I don't want to do it. But, but you're practicing it. Your life pattern is, is all around it. You are supposed to be a fruit tree, not a fruit cake, right? You're supposed to be one who bears good fruit. I, I, I love, I love in, in Ephesians 5 because it tells us about the deeds of the flesh, right? The deeds of the flesh, and, and then it, it, it contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. So when we say, Look, we want you to be good fruit. What are we talking about? Apples and pears? No, we're talking about Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are not optional. These, these are not optional. It, we can't tolerate not doing these things. This is who we are as believers. This is what is supposed to be on our tree. Unlike the deeds of the flesh, immorality, these are the things that we are not to be tolerant of. We're not to tolerate immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, all the things like these of which I forewarn you, I have now forewarned you, do not practice such things. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's not complicated. You practice the deeds of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you practice and, 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 and bear fruit, then there will be a reward. There will be a blessing. <clears throat> the problem is, one, we don't examine ourselves enough. We're really good at examining others. And we could, we could, we got like, you know, notebooks of, you know, other people's problems. Uh, but part of, part of communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, is that process of self-examination. Tell the truth about yourself. Examine your life. It, you know, most of us, you know, have to winterize equipment for the, you know, because when we come out in the spring, we want our lawnmowers to start and our chainsaws and, and our generators and all that stuff. And so, you know what, we, we, we take great detail into getting our machines ready, right? We take our cars in and get checkups and tune-ups and oil changes, but we don't do the same with ourselves. We, we don't examine ourselves. We don't plug ourselves into that little, you know, meter that'll tell a car exactly, here are the problems. Ding, 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 ding. Look, we, we, you have to be on guard for yourself. Why? I hate to break it to you, but 
We're natural born sinners. We are born, we are conceived in iniquity. Psalm 51.5, conceived in iniquity. That means when the little baby is rolling around and elbowing mama in the womb, the baby's a sinner. We are born desperately sick and wicked. Jeremiah 17.9, that is not a soft sell, right? Go up to somebody and tell them to their face, hey, you're desperately sick and wicked. Yeah, they're not going to like it. That's what God says about us. it's, It's just honest, straight truth, not to tell you how bad you are, but to help you to understand your stated position and how he has a plan to save you from that, how he has a plan to redeem you himself, to pay the price himself, because Romans 3.10, none of us are righteous. There's not one person in this room who could stand before the throne of God and be declared innocent. Not one of us, me first and foremost of all. And the wages of that sin then is death. Proverbs 28, 26 reminds us, commit this to memory. Whoever trusts his own mind is a fool. Because I know it's a hard thing to, you know, oh, don't trust yourself. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm uh, better than the one next to me. Don't trust yourself. Do not trust yourself. That's foolish. That, that is foolish. Don't trust your own mind. In fact, the Bible tells us you got to get your mind right. You got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conformed to the ways of this world. Romans 12 verse 2, we have to be transformed. We have to go through a transformation process which starts the day we're saved and ends the day we're die. we die. It never ends. We're constantly conforming to the image of Christ. We're constantly, as Colossians 1.10 says, we're constantly growing. Why? So that we bear fruit. So that we bear fruit. Now look, God fully is telling us here in Matthew 7 that he expects that you can bear good fruit. That's the standard. The standard is you can bear good fruit. That's why there's an exhortation, so then, to produce good fruit. And again, the warning of, look, just because you go to church, just because you dress nice, just because you went to Awana, memorize some Bible verses, just because you preach some sermons, just because you did some do-gooder stuff, that doesn't mean that you're a genuine, true follower. Why? These things are judged. Our lives are judged. Our hearts are judged. So we have to be careful then that, that we're okay. And you know who does that? You do. You examine yourself. What do you examine it to? To God's word, to Christ. He's our barometer. He's not, not, not your aunt, your mama, your brother, your cousin, your friend. No, the barometer is Christ himself. Christ himself. We had on the board there for, for a long time, John 14, 15. If you love me, you keep my commandments. You don't keep commandments to earn your love. You don't keep commandments and do works and commandments to, to, 
to pay for your, your sins. No, it, it's an outpouring of your expression of love. We're all saved by grace through faith, not of our own, but it's a gift, a free gift that comes from God. Our response to that is in a loving response is then to obey from love, just like we would our parent. Or, or else we will be cut down because sin is not tolerated. Well, the fourth warning, we've been warned about Satan. We've been warned about false prophets. We've been warned about ourselves. The fourth warning we see here is beware of the world. Beware of the world. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst again. In that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. We see here that we, there's a warning of, of the world. And we see that, look, there's a comparison between someone who's wise and someone who's a fool. A wise man versus a foolish man. Again, going back to Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You're not on two different teams. Well, I don't know. The, the, the foolish man has some fun. There, there's like fun over there, right? That, that lie from the pit of hell, that hell is the place where the party is. Hell is not the place of the party. Hell is the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of eternal pain and destruction, of fire. Um, it's not the party place. And so man then has to be on guard against the, the way of the world. Well, what, what's, what's the way of the world? Well, again, you have to understand who's its master, who's the world's master. Revelation 3.9, it's considered the synagogue of Satan. So outside these doors, you go outside there and it's like church is happening right out those doors. And that's the church of Satan, the synagogue of Satan, the world that is, has an overarching mentality, a demonic influence. How? Colossians 2.8. One way, through vain philosophies. What are philosophies? Philosophy isn't something that started yesterday. It started all the way back. We can read about it in scripture. can read about it in Mars Hill. The Greeks thought they were so smart, so brilliant. They created these, you know, all these philosophical concepts and ideas of really of interacting with man and sin. So if you were a sinful man who, you know, really was into yourself, you know, okay, you got, you know, the, the God of, you know, nar narcissism, right? I mean, so many of our words that we use all come from the, the Greek uh, mythology and stuff. Why? They come from vain philosophies trying to wipe away the God of the universe, trying to wipe away accountability to God, trying to say you can blame shift to somebody else. The gods made me do it, right? No. But this, this influence that, that is around us, is it's the world's wisdom. 
1 Corinthians 1.18 uh, describes that and gives us kind of that, again, that comparison and, and contraction, or comparison and contract, contrast and compare of the wisdom of the world versus God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. People who are, are following in the synagogue of Satan, those who are perishing and going to eternal hell, yes, the word of God is foolishness to them. That's why they don't like it. That's why they don't want to hear it. That's why that gate is wide open. Come follow the fools. Just like the, the Pinocchio cartoon, right? You know, they just march on down, you know, into Paradise Island where all the other foolish kids go and turn into donkeys. The word of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The gospel has the power unto salvation to save our lives. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know the God, the, the, the wisdom of the world, the philosophies of the world is not to find God. That's not the end path. You have to understand that. That's why the counseling room, that's why all the, the secular counselors of this age, their end goal, their end desire is not to lead you to Christ. It's actually to lead you away from Christ. So we don't seek counsel from them. We seek biblical counsel, not philosoph philosophical counsel, not psychological counsel based on, again, just man's speculations, foolish speculations. No, we're to love biblical wisdom. Read your Proverbs. Over and over and over again, we see that God's word is wise and that the Fear of the Lord is the very beginning of true, honest, and real wisdom. Well, part of being aware of what's happening in the world is understanding. You know, we, we have this new thing, right? We, we hear it, you know, it's called systematic racism. You've heard that? So it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's just, it's in the system. Where in the system? I don't know. It's just there. It, it's everywhere. It's been everywhere. It's been there for a long time. It's, 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 in, it's systematic. Well, maybe so because it, it all falls under the same cloud of evil. Well, is evil in the system? Is the devil's schemes in the system? Is sin in the system? Yes, yes, yes. Well, in that sense, it is systematic. Our system, our worldly system is demonic. When's the last time you heard a, uh, you know, a, you know, a media person, you know, that, that said, okay, well, today, here's the God report. Let, let's, let's read some scripture to understand the fire that just took place, the catastrophe that just took place. You know, there's a problem in our, in our world right now with, with looting and, and abuse and, you know, X, Y, Z. What does scripture have to say about that? No, Why? Because they're rejecting God's word by definition. That's what secular means. Secular means worldly. 
And so why we're pretending to be in league with those who are proclaiming to be secular is, well, that's foolish. Our, our public education system makes, makes no, you know, there, there, there's no pretense of, hey, if you want your kid to know about Jesus, come to public school where we ban the Bible and Dr. Seuss. But we allow pornographic books in. We'll keep it at that. Um, they're anti-God. They're anti-America. What ends? You know, you want to know what it, what an institution produces? Look at what comes out of it. Where where are all our our young twenty-two-year-old socialists? Where are they coming from? Socialist camp. Socialist university? Well, no, no camps or university are called that, right? They're all just called the same thing, public school. But it's the same end product. Why? Because their job, their goal, their mission, vision, vision, purpose is not to proclaim the glory of God. It's, it's secular. This is why the science then has become so infiltrated. The science that then again, we get our, our, our foundation in school of what science is. And so we start at the very beginning. Where did we all come from? Well, uh, it was a you know, big bang accident. We're all from apes and gorillas and X, Y. No, there's no creator. There's not even a debate about it. Think about that for a second. Everything that you see in the world around us that you would have a hypothesis of how did that guitar get here? How did that chair get here? How did that piano get here? Every single person in the room would say, it looks like somebody made it and created it, a designer, right? Nobody says, I think it just popped out of nowhere. I'm going with that one. <laughs> Doesn't even make logical sense. So in our science, they have problems with creation. They have problems with humanity. They don't even know how to identify what a male and a female is anymore. Oh, what is God's word said? In their cleverness, they think they're so clever. They think they're so wise. They're fools. They're fools. They don't know where life begins, right? Oh, where, where does life begin? I, I don't know. We have ultrasounds. We have full color pictures now. We know what's happening in there. We have heartbeats. They talk about climate catastrophe. So first it's we're going to freeze, then we're going to overheat, then we're going to uh, you know, run out of oil, then we're going to, I mean, every 10 years it's something new. They can't predict tomorrow's weather, but yet they know exactly what's going to happen in 10 years, even though year after year after year, they're wrong. But it's systematic. It's in our institutions. Our pop culture then repeats all these lies. Our media repeats these logical fallacies, repeats these biased agendas. And if you don't have that, then you have our pop culture that's just, as I mentioned earlier, the skirts keep going higher and higher. They're just lewd and rebellious, anti-establishment, right? Well, this is the world. The world has been utterly corrupted and the world has snuck into the church. Wolves in sheep's clothing. 
Big difference between a seeker coming in, trying to grow, trying to learn, trying to find the truth. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the people of the world coming into the church, trying to then change the church, trying to hijack the church. If you want to change the law, if you want to change the rules, well then go somewhere else. Start your own church. Why do they have to infiltrate the church? The world is infiltrating the church. And I, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier the, the idea of being a seeker-friendly church. Of course, non-believers are welcome, but, but we don't bend over backwards and change everything to tolerate sin so that we can have a visitor. That, that's not appropriate. We don't change our music, change the lyrics, start eliminating things like sin, repent, and hell because we're afraid that the non-believers aren't going to like to hear those words, the words of love, the words of Jesus. We have to be careful of easy believism. Look, the gate is narrow. It's narrow. I don't like that. I don't even know what that means. Narrow, how narrow? I, I want to open it up a little bit, right? I, of course, I want more people to come to Christ, not less. But the gate is, is narrow. It's not easy. There's a lot out there that people want to serve other than the master themselves first, pleasure second, everything else third. We have the, 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 the world's influence of, of the view of women through feminism. We see universalism. We, again, coexist. We should all just be the same. And then we've seen promiscuity that the world believes that I guess we're all just, you know, wild, feral cats. We just run around doing whatever we want. Um, there's ramifications. There's consequences for that. Not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally. And so, like any storm, if we knew that there was a storm that was coming into town, if we knew that there was a or tornado that was coming in our path, what would we do? Nothing? No. We would, we would prepare. We would get ready. Well, how are we getting ready? We get ready by beware of Satan. We know that Satan's there. Beware of false prophets. Beware of yourself and your own self-deception, your own carnal lust. Beware of the way of the world. Why? Because the enemy is real. He's relentless. He's cunning. He is running the world. He has the keys to the car right now. He is hijacking the church, whether it's the way of the world or through the pastors themselves. It's a frightening thing to say out loud. And we can't even be sure of our own motives and our own ideas. Why? Because we've been infiltrated by, by our own sin, by false teaching by satanic influence. And so as we close, a couple things just personally. From me, your shepherd, one is um, I love you guys. And it's that love of wanting you to spend eternity in heaven 
and not in destruction and not burning that drives me, that compels me to warn you um, to not tolerate sin. Don't tolerate it in your own life. Start with your own life. Do not tolerate. What does Jesus says? What, what, what is the sermon that we've all memorized? I hope repent, stop doing it. You know it's wrong. You know it's sinful. It's clear in the scriptures. Stop doing it. Turn away from your sin. How? Be biblical. Be in God's word. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to start. Start at the beginning and get to the end. And then do it again. And do it again. And over and over. You can't saturate yourself in God's word enough. Be biblical. Be gospel driven. We have no agendas personally. Our agenda is to drive the agenda of, of, of God. To repeat what God says. To repeat in what we say and what we do. Nothing more, nothing less. To fight sin. We have to be committed to being sin fighters. We don't tolerate it. We fight it. We battle against it. It's not going to be easy. It's hard. For some, it's a day-to-day, minute-by-minute, absolute battle. And it will be until the day we die. But you know what? We fight it. For others, it'll be new, different kinds of sin that'll, that'll hit us. For others, it'll be like a, like, like a sneak attack sin where things are going pretty well and all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. But make no mistake, sin will come. And then you got to be ready and, and willing to fight it, to fight it with everything that you have. How? We, we, we put our armor on. We gear up. We get ready for battle. We, we, we get ready for battle. And like Jesus in the garden, we're ready with his word. That's our ready defense. Is, is scripture itself. And so I want to remind you that God's word says that there will be some, including me, there will be some that may come to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I, I don't want that to happen with anybody in this room. If there's even an inkling of, of doubt or distortion or misunderstanding or confusion, if you're not sure, you, you come see me. If, if not today, tomorrow, the next day, you come see me. Because there's no reason for us to reject the free gift that was given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of us have sinned. Everyone in this room, we've all sinned. And unfortunately, that leads us straight into the domain of darkness, straight into the fire pit. But if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid in full the price for our sin, then we can spend an eternity in heaven with him. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. In fact, the... The trump card is Jesus himself. The get out of jail free is Jesus himself. But we don't play that flippantly. We, we don't play that by just flagrantly sinning. No, because we're, 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 we're so understanding of our sin 
and, and what it's cost that, that on our knees with gratitude, with thanksgiving, we're so thankful for what our Lord has done that now we're compelled to do thy bidding master out of love because we love him because we love him let me pray lord i pray that you help us to protect and secure our hearts our eyes our minds that we are on guard 24 7 yes you are our shield you are our stronghold and Lord, we have your word that is the light that lights and guides our path so that we don't sin against you. And Lord, we pray, we pray for your spirit to be in us, for your spirit to richly um, have life in us, to help us, to convict us, to, to bring to memory your word so that we may live. Lord, we have been crucified with you. And so we no longer live for our own gain, but for yours. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. Thank you for first loving us, for seeking us to save us. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.